In this podcast episode, we want to introduce you to our BCEN friend, Barbara Weintraub. Come along as Michael Dexter and Holly Briggs talk with Barbara about her career journey, the past, present, and future of nursing as she sees it. This episode is called A Heart for Nursing. And welcome to the BCN and Friends podcast, where we hold interesting conversations about learning with a range of thought leaders, BCN certification holders, and industry professionals. But most importantly, to create value and insight for you, our professional nurses across the emergency spectrum. We hope you find our discussions interesting, informative, sometimes funny, sometimes serious, but always valuable. I'm Holly Briggs, a professional development specialist at BCN and one of your hosts for today. I'm joined by my co-host, Michael Dexter. He's the Director of Professional Development at BCN. Hi, Michael. Hey, Holly. Great to be with you today. Thanks for being here. In this episode of BCN and Friends, we have Barbara Weintraub, an experienced emergency nurse with a passion for pediatric care and leadership. Michael, would you please introduce us to our BCN and friend, Barbara? Yeah, I would be happy to do so. Barbara has a lot of experience, and I'm sure she has some good stories to share. She's been an ER nurse since 1985 after initially obtaining a bachelor's degree in biology from Northwestern in 1983. She completed her bachelor's degree in nursing in 1984. And later, Barbara obtained a master's in public health from the University of Illinois at Chicago in 1991 and a master's in nursing from Rush University in 1999. Barbara has one son who's 32 years old and lives in Boston and is obtaining a PhD in computer cybersecurity. Barb says he's the smarty in the family, and Barb also has three cats. She's been very active in emergency nursing, having both presented and been published on a wide variety of topics, including pediatric emergency care and improving patient flow. She's been an active member of the Emergency Nurses Association, having served in both state and national positions. So Barbara, welcome to the BCN and Friends podcast. It is a pleasure to have you with us today. Thank you so much for uh, inviting me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. So tell us about your career a little bit more and your nursing journey. And, you know, we we mentioned leadership, we mentioned pediatrics, but just tell us a little bit more in general about how your nursing career has gone over the years. Sure. Well, it it got an interesting start. I always knew I liked um, medical type things. Um, it always interested me, um, but I wasn't really quite sure what I was going to do in medicine. So uh, my dad was always like, well, if you're going to go into medicine, you might as well be a doctor. So I went to Northwestern uh, thinking I was going to be a doctor and majoring in pre-med type stuff. Uh, but as I progressed through that at uh, Northwestern, it was kind of pricey. And I knew if I was going to be a doctor, that was going to be four more years. So I thought, I, I don't really know what the difference is like at the bedside level, what what does the nurse do that's different than what a doctor does, that's different than a physical therapist does, you know, than a pharmacist. I I really wasn't really sure what they all did. You know, you're 18 or 19 years old and you know you're like, yeah, I'm gonna pick that career. Um so I got a job in a hospital as a nursing assistant so that I could see up close what everybody did and see what interested me. 
And almost from the very first day that I was working there, I knew that nursing was what I wanted to be. I wanted to be the one who spent the time with the patient, who explained things to the patient, who helped them through um, that, that difficult journey that they were on. And uh, I have never once regretted my decision. Well, that's great. And, you know, you talk about the way that things change and the way our roles develop. And I know as a new nurse for myself and for many years into nursing, I was always afraid of pediatrics. And then it took me a while to to get used to kids. And now I love taking care of kids. But you worked in pediatric care. You hold, I believe, a certified pediatric nurse practitioner and also the CPEN certification. So how did you get interested in pediatric care? Have you always been wanting to care for kids or did you also have some of those initial uh, fears of caring for children as a newer nurse? Oh, I, I had the same fears. I love kids. I wasn't afraid of like interacting with them, but taking care of them was, um, you know, it was heart wrenching. And uh, I thought, I don't, I don't know if I'm strong enough to take care of, you know, sick kids. It, it hurts my heart. But I remember one day, um, in the ER, you know how there are days where you walk in and you look around and you're like, this is a good team. We can handle anything today. And that was one of those days. I was working with a great physician and the other nurses were great. And I was like, we can take anything. We're good. And in uh, a parent carried in um, one of the sickest little children that I've ever seen in my life. And I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know where to start. And I thought, it's okay. I'm with a great doctor. And I looked up at him. And he looked at me and he sort of had the same look of terror on his face <laughs> that I oh, had wow. on mine because this was one sick little kid. And this was just a general ER. It was a really good ER, but a general ER. And I knew at that minute, I'm like, I don't mind if I don't know everything as long as somebody in the room knows it. So I thought I don't ever want to be in that position again. So um, that was where I, I started my journey in pediatrics so that I could um, at least feel some level of comfort when something like that happens again. Okay, great. And so with the pediatrics that you've cared for and, and now having this, not only this board certification as a CPEN, but also as a nurse practitioner uh, certified in pediatric care, uh, how do you feel now caring for them? Um, the, the heart hurting is still there. I mean, that part is always difficult um, because it's a kid. Um, and but I have I have the the comfort of knowing that if there's anything that can be done for the kid that that I can do that and that's some comfort. The terror isn't there anymore. But it's um, it's interesting. Um, years ago, back before our our uh, our tertiary children's hospital was all the way downtown, it was in like the north side of the city, and I worked there for a while so that I would get as much exposure as I could to stick kids. Uh, the first day that I walked into the ER, I looked at their tracking board and I was, I'd been an ER nurse for maybe 10 years already. And I looked at their tracking board. I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know any of these diagnoses. It was oh, wow. overwhelming. I thought, how can I have worked in the ER for 10 years and not know anything that's wrong? Um, but you, you know, you learn and you immerse yourself in it. And um, you get to a point where, again, you know, after you've worked in the ER for a while, you're like, I can handle pretty much everything. So I feel like, I know I haven't seen everything, but I feel like whatever comes through, I know, you know, start with airway, move on to breathing. I feel calm, at least going through the process. Yeah. Well, great. And, 
You know, outside of pediatrics, you also have a passion for nursing leadership. And you've talked about improving patient flow and, and different ways to build organizational uh, infrastructure to support nurses and to build better leaders. So where did you find uh, that passion for leadership? And where do you see some of our biggest gaps currently lie in healthcare leadership? Um, well, those are two really big questions. Big so, questions. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, throwing, I'm throwing the big questions at yeah. you today. Um, so the leadership came, uh, I guess, just like everything else in my career sort of came out of left field. Um, I was working, we'd opened um, a pediatric emergency department at the hospital that I worked at. And I started as the educator and then I became a coordinator and then I became all of a sudden, and I was working as a nurse practitioner, and then all of a sudden they needed somebody to run the unit. And so now I was working as a nurse practitioner and being the manager, and then they needed somebody to be the director. And I'm like, okay, now the nurse practitioner and the educator and the director, um, because that's how it is in nursing, you know, you, you say, oh yeah, I would love to do that. Um, so I kind of got pulled into leadership um, without really meaning to head there. But once I got there, I really, I noticed that um, you are definitely, you're caught between competing um, priorities. There's the things that you know need to be done at the unit level, at the nursing level, um, things that need to be done to, to help staff who are bedside take care of patients. I feel like that's that's your job as a leader is to, to be the behind the scenes person to help the people who are taking care of the patients. Um, but then there's all the priorities from above, from the board or the CNO or the CEO um, and the things that they want you to do. And of course, they're not always in um, alignment with each other. So uh, it's a difficult dance um, to dance. And I probably haven't always been good at it because I uh, was too strongly on one side or too strongly on the other. But um, I've, I've learned that you have to somehow um, align those, those two priorities, the ones above and below, so that everybody's heading in the same direction. Uh, and I think that's one of the um, the biggest challenges as a leader. And I think um, today, there's, uh, in addition to that, there's the huge, huge, you know, issue of um, not enough nurses. And so we're hiring agency nurses right and left. And that, you know, cripples the hospital budget because our, our, um, how much we can spend is really mostly capped by reimbursement and I mean, that's a whole nother nightmare that we, we've never really faced a nursing shortage like the one we have now. And I think it's going to change the, the face of nursing leadership going forward. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like there's always been a variety of struggles in, in leadership, whether it is the patient throughput or, you know, staffing on the floors that lead to holding in the ED or whatever it might be. But Definitely the, the overarching theme currently seems to be just an overall labor shortage everywhere and trying yeah. to not only figure out nurse staffing, but figure out alternative ways to care, whether it's through non-licensed personnel or addition of paramedics, EMTs, everybody's trying to figure out a solution to this staffing crisis. Yeah. And I think um, I, I felt like a few years ago, we were making some progress with um, throughput um, and uh, hospital leadership was beginning to learn that you couldn't just have patients waiting in the ER um, because they couldn't go upstairs and we were making progress. 
but because everyone is, is short-staffed in the hospital, not just the ER, the ICU is, that all of a sudden throughput is kind of, you know, people have just decided they're going to have to stay in the ER. We can't send them to the floor because the nurses upstairs are going to quit and we don't have anybody working in ICU. And it's really exacerbated that issue, which I, in turn, I think has exacerbated turnover in the ER because um, it's really difficult to hear. Um, the ICU nurses have um, two patients and they're really blocking at taking a third. And you're like, I have two ICU patients and three ER patients, and I've never even been trained to in the ICU. So what, right. you know, what's the story here? Yeah. Yeah, it's, a, it's definitely a, a dynamic situation with the workforce. And, you know, one of the other questions I wanted to ask you about is is kind of just the dynamics of healthcare and and how it's changed over the years. And I'll give you a few examples. There's, I know you do some stuff with transport as well. And over the last several years, there's been more and more of these mobile stroke units appear. We're seeing more and more patients with LVADs living in the community. There's different um, ways to control massive hemorrhage like Reboa catheters. So there's always new technology and there's new changes coming out. Um, but where do you see emergency medicine changing the most over your time as an emergency nurse? And where do you feel like new things in emergency medicine are heading? Um, I think the good the good changes that I've seen um, Boy, when I first became an ER nurse, and this does make me feel like I'm, you know, 12,000 years old. Um, no, no, we don't want you to feel that way. <laughs> in addition to glass IV bottles and, you know, the three uh, bottle method for chest tubes, um, you know, we did all sorts of crazy things that really hadn't been proven. We did, you know, ice water lavages for GI bleeds, and we didn't really do anything for strokes or heart attacks. We didn't really have anything. Um, so one of the most fantastic things that I've seen um, is uh, the change in stroke care, uh, because I mean, when you saw somebody having a stroke, you you knew that was that was the end of their life as they knew it, you know. And even if they lived, it was going to be entirely different. And now you can see somebody coming in having a stroke, and then they go home in two days, perfectly normal. And it's like it's like a miracle. Um, and there's a lot of things that we've fortunately done research on and on like ice water lodges that that didn't work that actually made people sicker and uh rotating tourniquets who decided that was a good treatment we got rid of those so i love that we've become more um research oriented i um and nursing i feel like has come into its its own as a profession of its own we don't just carry out doctor's orders anymore um you can tell how much the doctors rely on the nurses to uh, manage the patient and um, let them know this is somebody who's sick and you need to see them now. And this is somebody who can wait even though their complaint sounds terrible. And uh, you, know, you know that that you're performing on something that's not just a, an assistant, you know, like a um, somebody who couldn't quite make it to the doctor. You're a, a educated, well-trained professional that has their own specific role in healthcare. Um, where do I see it going? I think um, because there's physician shortages as well, I think that nurses will continue to do more and more things. There's a lot of things that we do now that only physicians used to be able to do. And as there are more and more things that physicians themselves need to do, 
they, they can't do everything. The, those things the nurses get trained to do. So there's a lot of opportunities for nurses. And it doesn't, it doesn't have to be as an advanced practice nurse. Um, there's a lot of uh, opportunities in education. There's a lot of opportunities at the bedside where you need really well-educated, trained nurses to take care of people because, um, like you said, they're going home with technologies that we never dreamed of. People who are going home with VADs. So the first VAD I ever saw was like the size of a patient room, and now they're like right. little camcorders. Um, you're walking past people with who have a VAD, and you don't, you don't even know it. So people in the community have a lot more things going on with them and they get discharged from the hospital so much faster than they used to. Um, I will, I'll never forget when I was a new ER nurse and one of the, the patients that was considered, I worked on a surgical floor and the, the patient that was really difficult to take care of was a patient who had had cataract surgery because they couldn't cough. So you had to give them cough medicine. They, they could only eat soft foods. They couldn't turn their head from side to side. They had to remain calm. So you had to do everything for them. And that's hilarious now because cataract surgery is almost like a drive-through procedure. Right. So uh, the people who are staying in the hospital are a lot sicker. And then they're going home with a lot of needs that um you know, may or may not be met because I think that's still an opportunity for us is to figure out how to carry that level of care into the community. Um, teaching family members for you know an hour once is is not gonna be enough. Right. Yeah, you made a great point there, especially you know on the acuity as well. It seems like even in some areas where the overall volume isn't as high as it was maybe five years ago, it seems like of, of the patients that are there, the acuity levels just seem to be getting higher and higher <laughs> all the time. There's more and more sick people out there. And a lot of patients that used to come to the ER or the hospital for care are able to manage some of those lesser acute things at home or at an urgent care now. So what the hospital ends up getting is is the very, very sick. Yes, um, I agree. So, I think... Because um, because of a couple of factors. Number one, our healthcare system is not easy to navigate, even for somebody who's been in healthcare trying to navigate somebody somebody else's issue from the outside, like you know dealing with Medicare to get a wheelchair or something. It is not easy, um, and many people don't you know they don't know how to approach that, and sometimes they just give up. And then of course there's always the payment issues. We don't have you know we don't consider healthcare um, something that everybody deserves. And so a lot of people don't come to the hospital um, when they should have because they don't they don't want to be burdened with a huge bill. And so when they come in, they are like their cancer is disseminated or their heart failure is, you know, it's not reversible. Or um, you know, they have they have such uh, you know, they I I had a man come in who would who'd had a stroke and he came in a week later only because his wife bothered him. And he's like, can you help me? I'm like, we, we could have, we, we could have. If you had come in right away, but he didn't want to have the ER bill. They didn't want to have a hospital bill. So right. it was very sad. Yeah, we, uh, we've we've seen so many of those situations and it's really, it's really unfortunate. It impacts them for the rest of their life as well. And, and it impacts us as nurses also to have to, to see and deal with some of those, those disparities. Yeah. Uh, I do want to ask you um, before I turn it back over to Holly, you know, with 
with all of the experiences you've had and the and the many um, different avenues of the emergency medicine that you've worked, if somebody was to come to you as a newer nurse and um, you know you were to give them some pointers on on the importance of lifelong learning, what does that what would that conversation go like, or what would that mean to you to to talk to somebody about how important it is for a nurse to be a lifelong learner? Yeah, I, and it obviously it's something I really obviously believe since I've done it several times, but um, healthcare is is incredibly complex. Um, I look at what I learned um, in my in my nursing program um, and when I went back to get my my master's degree, I'm like, wait, how how do we discover new organs that didn't exist when <laughs> when I was in my bachelor's program? You know, physiology has changed. And if you rely on what you learned five years ago, ten years ago, you're you're out of you're out of date, um, and things change much much faster. The treatments. I was uh, working with a physician. We had a patient with an arterial bleed, and he we I was like, we need a cat tourniquet. Let's put a cat tourniquet on. He's like, okay, but I don't want his arm to get necrotic. It's you know it, we have to keep releasing. And I said, no, you don't have to do that anymore. This is something new that we've learned. And so I was able to, to teach him something that I learned because I'm uh, you know, a lifelong learner that you don't have to keep loosening the tourniquet to stop the bleed. You end up with worse outcomes that way. So I wouldn't have known that if I didn't, um, you know, if I wasn't a lifelong learner and I'd taken a, a stop the bleed course and and uh, yeah, I was able to help this patient and, and the physician learn something new. So. Uh, there are a million examples like that. Every single treatment that you learned a year ago is probably different now. Right, exactly. Well, those are all some really great points, and I appreciate um, your insight and and your expertise in these different areas. And I want to turn it over to Holly, but um, I'll I'll jump back in a little bit later on and as well. But I did just want to tell you now, thank you so much for your insight and some really really great. Uh, conversation we've had here. Oh, thank you. Ms. Barr, I know that, you know, nurses have a great impact and we've, I mean, you've experienced that I'm sure in your career, just impacting patients, those that you work with. Um, but I guess the question that I would like to ask is, can you tell us about a person or maybe just a moment in your career that really greatly impacted you? I was working, um, I was actually in grad school, so I was working part-time at various different hospitals. And so it just so happened that I was working um, at a hospital that was a level one trauma center. And the medics brought in a patient who had been in a trauma. He was covered with blood and his clothes had been cut off and he had injuries all over and he looked like he was in pretty bad shape. And I was like, okay, take a deep breath. You know, remember what you learned in um, TNCC. And I walked up to his head to make sure to maintain C-spine mobilization and check his airway. And the patient opened his eyes and looked at me and he said, hi, Barb. And I'm like, oh, I don't, I, I didn't recognize the patient. And you really like, that's not the patient. I'm like, this patient is way too sick. I don't want to know, you know, I don't want this to be a personal friend, but it was, it was one of the um, uh, policemen from that community who I knew very well because they, they were in our ER all the time. And at that moment, I was like, I, I almost went from being unnursed to being, um, I don't know, his his uh, his his support person. 
And he just grabbed my hand and he said, please don't let me die. Please don't let me die. Please don't let me die. And so I stayed after the end of my shift and I went with him to CAT scan and I went with him up to the OR and I held his hand and I reassured him, even though I wasn't really sure that he was going to make it, but I reassured him, you know, I'm not going to let anything happen to you. I'm here for you. Um, and um, I was really shaken up at the end of the shift and I realized I didn't think I, I don't think I did anything for him. I don't, I don't think I gave him a tetanus shot. I don't, I don't think I did anything that I would normally consider my job to do as a nurse because I was so busy comforting him. And about six months later, he came back into the ER and he um, said, I just wanted to thank you for, for saving my life. Um, and I was like, I was so humbled because I thought I, I didn't even give you a tetanus shot. I don't think I cleaned your wounds. All I did was talk to you. But in that moment, that's what he needed. And for him, that was what had saved his life. And I, it made me rethink everything about what I thought being a good ER nurse was. Um, it's not uh, being the best at starting IVs and it's not knowing the drip rates um, off the top of your head. It's um, accompanying that person through their journey at their level and uh, making it the best situation that it can be. And uh, it, it, yeah, it really changed the way I looked at what it meant to be a nurse. Mm, I really, I enjoy that story so much. I mean, you hear it, you know, all the time when you go to conferences and hear people speak about how patients they need us to be very smart. They need us to be very educated and to know our processes and, and, you know, just have a very far depth of understanding of what it is that we do. But really, and honestly, if you have, if, if they don't, if that doesn't also translate with care and compassion and being a human at the bedside, then all of those other things, like they may benefit from it, but they likely won't remember that. Um, they, they're going to remember, you know, the comfort that you provided for them, those human moments that you have with them, um, and what is possibly the worst day of their life. Like that's what they're going to remember. And so I really, I appreciate your story. Cause again, it's just a great reminder that, you know, you don't have to be the smartest person in the room. It's awesome when you can be, um, sometimes scary, but to let your patient know that you're with them in that very tough moment. Um, that that's really what they're going to remember. So, wow. Great story. Thank you for sharing that with us. Sure. I, it, it, it's something I keep in the back of my head. So um, I can be, I'm humbled every day that I have the opportunity to, to help somebody and, and remember that um, it's just one day in my life, but it's the mm -hmm. worst day in their life. That's a really great reminder. I do have a few rapid fire questions. Um, you can go as far into these as you'd like, um, or you could just give us some quick answers. But um, if, what would you, if you, if you could choose, what would you do if you were not in your current role? And it can be anything. If you could just pick something that you're, that you're not currently doing, what would you do? Okay, this sounds so funny because it's completely different. Um, I would be an interior designer. I, I love decorating. I love people who work with me know that I'm I'm a little bit nutty and I'm like, I have to like bedazzle my tape dispenser <laughs> and then the, the face has to match the thing on my desk. And, um, you know, my files are all organized and color coded. So 
Um, I feel like I'm a Gemini, so I'm allowed to have these two different sides. <laughs> okay, so interior decorating, check. Um, I am also going to ask you about some of your favorites. Um, if you don't have one or you can't think of one, you can always tell me skip. I will just ask you very quickly, what would you say is your favorite book currently? Or it can be of all time, but. Uh, let's see. I think one of my favorite books um, was uh, I read when I was growing up is A Secret Garden. I loved that book. Mm -hmm. um, it that was book. it was perfect growing up as a, you know, as a little girl. And um, I still have I still have the book that I read when I was growing up. It's a gift from my grandmother. And every once in a while, I'll take it out and go back into that fairy tale world. It's a good book. I've read that one as well. Um, what would you say is your favorite movie? Uh, I have a lot of movies I love, but it would either be um, Field of Dreams or, mm. oh my gosh, what's the name of the movie where they uh, break out of prison? It's Morgan Freeman and uh, Shawshank Redemption. Shawshank Redemption. Thank you. Yes. I love it. <laughs> they're completely different, but I love those two movies. Oh, I, I agree with you as well. Um, you picked two that are on the top of my list as well. Last but not least, what would you say is one of your favorite songs? Um, I, I really like the, um, oh my gosh, now I'm going to forget that it's, uh, <laughs> oh, what's his name? I, I'm It's just going to kill me. It's a, he's a Scottish singer. He has songs out now. He just had a new one um, that came out. Uh, yeah, <laughs> he's my favorite, but I can't remember the name of. That's okay. You you know, sometimes I sometimes I land in that same place, and I have to start like either acting it out or like singing a few bars. I will not ask you to do that now. But I'm normally I'm appealing to the audience that I'm talking to and like, hey, I don't remember the name or the person, but I really like this. Um, yeah, so yeah, I, exactly. I, I understand. Well, um, oh, another good question. What would you say is like your go to kind of comfort food and or meal? Um, well, uh, aside from the obvious chocolate. <laughs> Um, I love pretzels and hummus. I mean, I love hummus with many different things, but um, I love pretzels and hummus. Um, it's just, and I feel like it's not um, totally trashy food, so I don't feel <laughs> too guilty. Mm -hmm. But uh, I would, I would make do with guacamole if I had to. <laughs> that would be a good gotcha. sacrifice. Those are two very fun, like dips that feel like real food. You know what I mean? Like they're yeah. filling and delicious. So, um, do you have any hobbies or interest, obviously outside of nursing, um, and interior design? <laughs> yeah, I, um, like sometimes I like to in, in, indulge my creative side and I have, um, like a lot of craft things. I have, you know, dried flowers and beads and, um, garlands and twine. And um, I have like probably 25 pictures that I've made um, that I don't know what to do with now that I've made them sitting in my living room, uh, waiting for me to decide what to do with them. But I just like to uh, make, you know, beautiful pictures, um, or at least beautiful to me. 
um, with various different mixed media type things. I like art that is a little bit of like the mixed textures and, um, you know, that, that kind of give you a, a sense of depth to them. So right. I appreciate that. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of your kind of your favorites with us and getting us getting us a chance to kind of get to know you a little better. If our audience would like to follow you online, um, are there any social media platforms that they could follow you on? I'm sure I'm on Facebook and also on LinkedIn. For those of you that are listening that know about the BCE and Learn conferences, we'll have one in Las Vegas in November of 2022, and we have another one in Dallas in May of 2023. And Barb will be speaking for us in Dallas. So we're excited about that, that she gets to share more of her expertise with the rest of the uh, nursing community. Yeah, and thank you for the opportunity. I'd I like to pass it along. Yeah, well, we're excited to have you. And I've really enjoyed the conversation today. Thank you so much for, again, being a guest on this podcast. And um, it was just really, really good to hear the insight you provided. And I also really appreciated the story that you told about your police officer friend. Thank you. I appreciate having the opportunity to talk. I want to take time to thank Barbara Weintraub for joining us for this episode of BCN and Friends. Thank you, Barbara, for sharing your time, your journey, and your expertise, and just your stories with us. And to all our listeners, we hope you will stay tuned as we continue with BCN and Friends and bring you new and meaningful content and perspectives. If you do have a suggestion for an episode, please email us at bcn at bcn.org. I'm Holly Briggs here with Michael Dexter, and on behalf of the entire BCN team, we thank and celebrate you all for what you're doing as professional nurses across the emergency spectrum. Until next time, we are out.